This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially as you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that, that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to an iFanboy Booksplode on Dark Knight, a true Batman story. Welcome to a special iFanboy Booksplode episode. We haven't done one of these in years. We're back. We're, we're at, your, at your insistence. <laughs> the pick of the week is... Oh. <laughs> As part of our new uh, Patreon, we have one of the rewards. is what, One of the levels to hit, one of the reward levels was we would add a Talksplode and a Booksplode show each month. And last month, Josh talked to Gabriel Hardman and Karina Betko for a Talksplode. This month, we're doing a Booksplode. And for new listeners, Booksplode is when we take a look at a single graphic novel or collected edition and talk about it for about half an hour or so and uh, really dive deep. I think we haven't done one of these since the aborted run on Starman. It's been a while. All right. Yep. It's been many years. So uh, this is Dark Knight, a true Batman story. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Ron Richards. Hello. And Josh Flanagan. Did they ever finish Starman, though? I mean, is that on us? I mean... The the shows or the book? They didn't finish the book. Is it, it ever, is, it, is it ever really finished, really? There you go. There you go. Artistic Journeys. It's an organic <laughs> thing. So this is, uh, we're looking at Dark Knight, True Batman Story, which was an original graphic novel published by Vertigo, DC Comics. It came out this year, uh, written by Paul Dini and drawn by Eduardo Riso. And in just a full disclosure, most people probably don't know that for a while, Paul Dini had a column on iFanboy. Yes. Former I forgot about it. For, former iFanboy staffer, which I noticed they neglected to yeah. mention in his bio. Not in his bio, is it? Yeah. Come on, Paul. Wow. On. You we, know what? We, I completely we, forgot we that. I was, trying to, I was trying to remember our connections to him. I was like, well, we talked about him on the show a lot, but there was something else. We talked wow. to him on the show a lot. We talked to his wife on the show a lot. We talked to his sock puppet, his wife's sock <laughs> puppet on the show a lot. And uh, I think out of pity, he, uh, he wrote a very, very short column for us. 
200 oh. words with Paul Dini, which uh, was a really great column I enjoyed for many. It actually ran a long time on the site. I think maybe about it. It really did, actually. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, much longer than Jonathan Hickman's column. Yes. <laughs> Centric circles. <laughs> so we had a Paul Dini column very short lived. If he walked into the room right now, he wouldn't know who I was. So there's no favoritism here. <laughs> I think I think I think it would take very little prompting, whereas others it would take a longer time. I think it's the short amount of time before he goes, "Oh yeah, right, other, sure." Let's talk others, about the book. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the book. Also, in the interest of full disclosure, I did not you you recommended this. Or we talked. We started talking about this book when it came out. Yes. And I did not. The several things I did not know. Okay. Well, that was going to be my first question about you guys, so that's good. I, I did not know it existed. Mm-hmm. I did not know that Eduardo Riso drew it. Mm-hmm. I did not know that it was a Vertigo book. I did not know that it was a Vertigo book with Batman in the title and on the cover. And I do not know why everyone isn't talking about this book because it was delightful. This book was amazing. Josh, did you did you know about? It? For, uh, no, I did not. And you said we. I want to read this book called The Dark Knight by, by Paul Dini. And in my head, I went. Oh, God. Right. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were just making me read some Batman book, and and I and then, should have given you more credit. Yes. And then I looked at the title, and it said it was a true Batman story. I'm like, oh, so it's gonna be about somebody in Batman, and blah blah blah. I did not know the scope of this book. I did not know the hook. And why didn't this? Why wasn't this like everywhere? Well, did that, I miss that, that? That one. That might be a little our fault. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I mean, I guess we're making up for it now. Uh, I will say the same thing. I started this, and I thought I was about two or three pages in, and I went, oh. Yeah. And um, before we get any farther, well, no, it was oh, and then it, then like twenty pages was like oh, no, it's not even. I just like I, I asked you guys earlier because I wasn't sure if I had time to read. I was like, well, how long is it? Whatever. It was one of the most compulsive page turners that I have read, certainly from Marvel or DC, in a very long time. Um, I, so I read it. I read it. I read it in one sitting. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have to. You you really can't put it down. Yeah. This is an autobiographical tale, and the reason I knew about it is because. Paul Dini did a lot of press on it originally when it was originally solicited. Um, a lot of in, a lot of mainstream interviews because he's a he's a he's a low level media figure, but he does he's a name that gets you know he, he's he's linked he's to got, Batman he's cartoon. Got, he's, he's, got, a, he's got a great pedigree. I mean, yeah, Batman lost, lost so I fanboy. He, he he did some mainstream right, he did some mainstream interviews. And I, I saw the interview. So this is a original graphic novel about well, it's it's about him, but the the, the hook is that when he was a writer producer on Batman in 1993 when he was 36 Batman years old. Batman the animated series. Batman the animated series. He he was 36 years old. He was uh, viciously assaulted uh, on the street and beaten very badly. And it's been something that's been plaguing him his entire life and this this that's the hook is that is that that's the main driving force of this of this story is that the before and after of that incident and how it has affected his life and how his imagination and his writing, how it all ties together. It's kind of an autobiography in a way because he started him as a kid and he goes all the way through to the present day. It's certainly a memoir. It's yeah. a memoir. It's it, There's a little bit now, behind the scenes of Batman the Animated Series. It's, as he mentions in the book itself, it's not a story about the cartoon, which he knows people would want to read. But you do get a peek behind the scenes and how that show was made a little bit. And then it's about dealing with trauma. It's a lot about dealing with trauma. I knew nothing. I literally knew, knew nothing other than the, the cover going into the book. And I did that on purpose. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to look at it or, you know, I, I would just want to go to, to clean. And he starts it in a very innocent way where it's really he's giving his background and his, you know, kind of how he got here and his, you know, obsession or, you know, interest in popular culture and Batman and cartoons and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, like, but I don't really know where this is going. And there's a point in the book where he goes, you know, a lot of you are probably hoping for more 
you know, a graphic novel about the making of Batman the Animated Series. This isn't it. And and at that point, I was like, it isn't. And then <laughs> it, 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 get, it gets to the incident. And and like what was funny was that the device that he used was it's basically him like we're in a classroom or in a storyboard room and yeah. he's pitching the story via, you know, it's really storyboard room instead yeah. of classroom. But there was a projector at one point. But uh, he's he's putting up on the wall storyboards of his life. And then it's just that in between then Eduardo Riso illustrates them magnificently. And it just, it just like Josh said, it pulled me in, and I could not put it down right in one sitting. One thing that really struck me is that we really loved Airboy last year, which was the uh, James Robinson, Greg Hinkle image miniseries that was a fantasy tale, but it was also very soul-searching on James Robinson's part. And we, we, we were admiring how he basically opened a vein up on the page and was very brutally honest about himself. And I thought the same thing was true in this. I mean, Paul takes you down some very tough roads, and he really yep. yeah. explores his his insecurities and his I don't want to say his problems, but his issues. I mean, he you know he wins an Emmy and then cuts himself with it. Um, that, that was, I would, and that that I, I that's the only page I read twice because I was like, wait, is this what I want to do or what I did? And it was what he did, and I was like, yeah. oh wow, yeah. And yeah. I was very it was very brave of him, but it, it was to me it felt in that same vein of wow, this is. You know, the best art is when the artist is the most truthful, and this is this was him being very honest about who he you know who he was at that time. Anyway, but this is an utterly compelling, compelling book for that reason. I think. Yeah, interesting that it's interesting that he chose to do it now, because I mean, you could you could say that when you were talking about Airboy, for example, that James Robinson was in something of a transitional state mm-hmm. when he did that book. It was sort of a reaction to him getting divorced. And, and his life changing and, and doing everything. So you can kind of see like why why he did that. But like Paul Dini sort of been a little quiet for a bit. I mean, maybe there is something going on. I don't know. Uh, but in terms of comics, like I, I don't see him around a lot. He's probably working on stuff that I just don't know what it is. And so it seemingly came out of nowhere. And I don't know the guy at all. And I think that's what yeah. was like, like this is like I've, I know his work very well uh you know we've, we've spoken to him we're acquaintances we've been admirers you know, but, of his work for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah very and, much so. for, and, for and, and for de- yeah literally for decades and he's the kind of person and and this kind of just i mean this comes as no surprise but you know literally for 10 years have seen him at conventions and in the context of this little comic book bubble world that we're in i had no idea about this now i'm sure that they're are people that did know about it or there are mutual acquaintances who knew about it or whatever, you know, but whatnot, but never came up in conversation, didn't write a column about it, never really did any, you know, like, so, so I literally had no idea. And the moment that I, you know, it really, it humanized him in a way that, you know, that it never really had before. Like when you take that acquaintance and, it, it it gets expanded to a point of honesty and a point of truthfulness that now I really respect the guy. I kind of want to give him a hug. Yeah. Yeah, he might recoil, which I think is is fair. But well, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I just at the at the end of it, it, he was super bold, and it made me go back and think about so much of his work. It made me think specifically of like he did that. He did a great run on Detective Comics. Yep, yep. Um, where there were I don't know how long. Let's say like a year. There were one and done stories, and he did. It was one story about the Joker uh, at Christmas. And it was a Robin story. And I started thinking about that in context of this story and sort of the terror. He he wrote a really scary, really interesting Joker. Yep. And that sort of put put everything into even more context. And for me, a lot sometimes context can ruin art, but other times it can very much enhance it. 
Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times, like, if you know like where, where a songwriter is coming from, you know where an artist is coming from, that gives you context for that work. And you can go, oh, I, I kind of, I think I can kind of see where they're going now. And and I think that tells a lot about how honest he was able to be with this was sort of how close he was to being honest during those detective stories, which is odd because as he made the point, like who wants to write silly Batman stories, well, but he found a reason to do it. And that, and that's and that's what actually was the takeaway for me with this book was it wasn't so much the it wasn't so much the the fuel for his future stories or for the event and the situation but it was the, his life afterwards where you know he gets horribly assaulted and beat up has surgery can't go to work doesn't and then he's healing and and I feel as if and and now I'm you know knock on wood thank God I've lived a, 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 a mostly healthy life I've never had surgery I've never you know I've only been in the emergency room once in my life I've never broken a bone you know so I can't really relate to real trauma from a physical standpoint but if any and and even though I already knew this academically if anything this graphic novel pointed out to me is that there is a there is an emotional and mental toll on this sort of trauma happening to somebody and to see it manifest in him being unable to write these characters that he loves was that was more devastating than the, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, it probably hurt a lot more to get beat up, but for me, like that was the devastation part and to watch him deal with that and then dig himself out of that is, is immensely respectful. And it was just amazing. And like, I was rooting for him at the end. Like when he went back to work and he's like, he's like, those pages on your desk, I'm working on this. I was like, yeah, Paul go. I was like, cause, cause he had gotten, he got himself out of it and he could have very easily succumbed to it and never gotten back. This book as much as anything is a look at the PTSD. I mean, he, he has, yes. Yeah. He has post-traumatic stress after that. And he still has, it. he talks about at the end, how he still flinches when people go near his face. Cause he has some scars that he's ashamed of. And he also, uh, turns away when people come at him too quickly. He just he still has it, and he still and he also talks yeah. about how he's he'll he'll go months without even thinking about it, and then he'll then it'll be fresh in his mind and every, every detail, and he can't get it out of his head. This is classic post traumatic stress, and I think if I remember correctly from the interviews, one of the reasons he wrote this is because you know a little bit of demon exercising, you know, get get yeah, it sure. out. But that to me that was an interesting part of the post. You know, because this is a hundred and twenty some odd page story. The the attack happens around page fifty, so you, you know you, you've got as much post time post attack as you do pre. And there's a lot going on here. He's dealing with the PTSD, but as you said, Ron, he uses that as an impetus to clean up his life. I mean, he, you know, he's he's not. I want to say he's, he's got a sad life beforehand, but he's very very lonely, and he's being taken advantage of a lot by people. And he uses it as a chance to sort of look at himself, and he stops drinking as much, and he. He, uh, you know, focuses on his career, and, and he finds some. Although he doesn't find her in the book, he finds a, a great wife. And yeah, we know we know that he's found happiness, you know, many many years later. But it seems as if in that moment he was in that weird spot of being young and hungry and in a position where work dominates your life, which is, you know, which I think we, you know, we all know both from our own personal experience as well as friends and things like that. That is a real tough spot to be in. And you know, he said, you know, the the job writing Batman the Animated Series was you know often he's like you couldn't maintain relationships because the work came first which you know might explain a lot of bruce tim's dour demeanor as <laughs> masterfully documented in this book where every time bruce tim is on a page he's scowling and i was like good job riso you nailed him <laughs> although he isn't he isn't the villain it's uh alan burnett he's not he, he says in the in, paul dini says in the little forward that he alan burnett is not the sort of mean guy he's presented here but i can imagine that in his memories of the time 
he would come off as harsher than he actually was. You, you know, what's funny is that I, I read that in the beginning and, and I was kind of looking for it. And to me, like Alan Burnett was like the, the most important person here outside of, you know, Paul himself. Yeah. Because really in the end he, he was like, he, you know, he, I mean, he's written that way, but he had that wisdom to be like, you need to come back and start doing, you need to get back to your life. And he gave him what in television, in the competitive world of like, he gave him a long rope. Yes. In a, in a ext- like it's a, he's just struck me as extremely compassionate. Oh yeah, but in you, an you, indirect you have, way. You have to look beyond what's actually happening. I mean, also, yeah. Uh, the, the the detail is that when this attack happens, they're not only in the middle of making the show, but they're in the middle of making Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, and they have to do it in a year, which is insane on an animation yeah. schedule. But so they were working really, really hard, and basically one of their top writers dropped out for weeks at a time after he had been attacked. So. They, Alan Burnett comes off as the surface level, sort of, not villain, because clearly the, the attackers are very white. But he has compassion, and especially at the end when he's when he's uh, back at work and and he's he's letting him pitch the uh, Sandman idea and letting him get it out because he knows he needs to. Now, did you have a moment where you're like, wait, did that happen? Did I see that? <laughs> well, that, there's little there's actually little nuggets here if you're you know fans of the cartoon. There's a little bit yeah. behind the scenes tidbits. One of them is a easy. We get two. Aborted pitches. One is a Batman animated series idea, which Batman meets the Sandman and Death from Neil Gaiman's story. And the other one is a really creepy Batman Beyond pitch, where Bat- <laughs> yeah. Batman uh, walls the Joker up in a little bunker in his Batcave, and finally doesn't want to deal with him anymore. And very Edgar Allan Poe way. But so there's little bits. And actually, in addition to the PTSD, what you get here is an examination of the mind of an animation writer. And the reason why is Dark Knight your Batman story, and why in the cover you've got Batman and the Joker looming over a beating up Paul Dini's because in his mind those were the two voices in his head one was telling him to stand up and you know get himself together the other telling him to succumb to the anger and the madness and the in the, the hurt feelings so yeah. it's as much about the two angels on his shoulders as anything else just in, in his head they manifest these ways and yeah and in between that I thought there was some really again honest and and just amazing you know dialogue between Paul and Batman you know <laughs> which is basically yes. like you know like him Blake like what, where were you when I needed you? You know, like you know, like if you were real, this is what would have happened. But that's not, you know, like I thought, and and it was funny because like the more of the character, the more of the interaction between Paul and the characters themselves, I found myself sometimes coming close to eye rolling, but then remembering who it is and allowing it. You know, like I feel like I feel like no one uh, aside from maybe Bruce Tim or Alan Burnett or some other folks, nobody really has the gravitas to pull that off. But Paul D- Baldini definitely does. And, you know, at times it just got it got chaotic because there are just so many villains and so many characters. And you realize how dialed in he is to these characters and how absolutely when he yeah, was and switching between characters, the villain voices were all very distinct. Yep. And very correct. And I, I was I was actually really impressed by that because I think a lot of times people like a major motion picture, for example, will conflate Two-Face and Joker. But yep. Paul, you know, Paul's having none of that. Paul's one of the best there is at that character, yeah. those characters. And the thing yeah. is, people who go through trauma, and I've, I've been victim of a crime, but nothing traumatic like Paul has. But everyone who goes through that has those voices in their heads that, well, maybe you should have done this or maybe this you should have done this differently. And it just so happens his manifest as Batman and the Joker because he's so, as you said, dialed into that. And he's working 24 hours a day on these characters. But that's the tug and pull everyone goes through in their minds after afterwards is what if I had done this differently? What if I had punched that guy? What if I had the, the judo throw that Batman suggests? It's just most people don't manifest it as a, as a Batman on their shoulder. But it's the same thing everyone goes through. One of the things that's interesting to me is like 
I have this like one of my pet peeves in life is is uh, is like men get this tough guy thing. Mm-hmm. It happens a lot. Like like I ride mountain bikes, right? And like for a lot of people, that's there's a whole thing where people are like be tough. What do you can just fight through it, do whatever. And I, I find that really irritating as sort of a male ethos. And one of the things I actually like about comics in general is that's not really. Like, we know a lot of comics professionals and fans, and that's just not really part of the culture, which is kind of rad. And there's times where this is, like, right on the edge of that, but it's almost like the good version of it, where Batman is telling him, in a way, suck it up, but not in a sort of dismissive way. Like, it's right at the edge of, of you need to, you know, you need to deal with this, because there's nobody's going to do it for you. There's nobody. And I actually, I thought he rode that line really, because there was times where I was like, shut up, Batman, let him be okay. You know, but it was when he needed to hear it was when he needed to do things. And uh, it was it was what I'm getting at is it was a a good portrayal of the idea of masculinity to a certain extent, I think, that that came through Batman talking to him in his mind. So let's talk about yeah. Ed, or Eduardo Riso. Yeah, let's talk about him. This is a tour de force for Eduardo Riso. I mean, and that was the, that was the other thing. Like, so not only what is the book. It was, you know, Paul Dini and Fantastic and Batman, and we'll get to the vertigo, the publishing aspect of it, but I didn't know Eduardo Riso was doing it, and my God, Eduardo Riso. Uh, why did he do this? <laughs> and, and, I don't, and I don't mean that to be dismissive, but I, I was like, hey, this guy could do anything. Like, he could literally, like, he could go to Marvel or DC, and Eduardo Riso would be like, I want to do this. And they would be like, okay. But he did this, which is, I think, a really interesting choice, because it's not actiony it's not if you think about what a what a riso sort of book looks like it is very far from that maybe that's why but i mean a lot of it was just you know that scott mcleod style understanding comics paul dini talking to us mm-hmm. right really well done but it was an interesting choice i thought he gets to run the gamut of styles here yeah you know we're used to the very comics noir shadow heavy brilliant eduardo riso but here he gets to do that a little bit especially in the it's you know in, in the the mugging scene that's the most recognizable Eduardo Riso, but you know, you get cartoon you know the work w- here, you get, um, sketch, you know, when they, when they sh- we see the stuff on the, on the, um, the board in the beginning, you, you get really cartoony stuff. You get really sketchy stuff. You get stuff that looks like the cart, the, the animated series. It's, he's all over the, the style map here, which is great. It was one other spot where I saw Eduardo Riso. What's that? Did you notice that the, uh, therapist was super fucking sexy? <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's LA. It's there was, LA. They're all. Yeah, there was like a melty thing to it, and then <laughs> yes, like later yeah. he was really sexy, and I was like, "There he is. He cannot help but make ladies sexy." <laughs> this is as lush visually as it is interesting story-wise. He's something we don't get to see a lot, I guess, because he was working on this 120-page graphic novel. But I was pouring over the pages. I gotta say. I, maybe this book didn't sell a lot or whatever, but Shelley Bond put this through, and then they they let her go. Yeah, that seems Better. stupid. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. And that, that's the th- that's the thing because I was like, I was like, how often do you see a Batman book at Vertigo? And that was the first thing that had me scratch my head. Then I realized I'm like, oh, okay, this is autobiographical and all this sort of stuff, and it makes sense. But the, to to put this through Vertigo, I guess because they're the only ones who really do graphic novels. But this could have very this didn't have to be a, a Vertigo book. I think it was. Uh, I think. I'm assuming there was a little idea about putting this on a mainstream DC book. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Back to attract <laughs> the wrong audience, I suppose. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not really. A, it's a, it's a vertigo. I mean, it's a very adult subject matter. Yeah, and they get to have fun with it. You know, there's a scene where he's at the shooting range because he's thinking about buying a gun after his attack, and so Batman gets to have a couple of shots, and he says, uh, "DC would never let me do this in a comic." Yeah. And so I mean, they get to level that, fun with, with the publisher, it's, but. It's a, 
Yeah, it's adult and that sort of thing. But man, I mean, and and Riso's, has Riso done Batman? Riso's done Batman before. Yeah, he did didn't it for he did, yeah. Wednesday Comics. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. I, I I just found myself. I found myself after the sequence of Batman. What Batman would have done if he was there? Were chasing the you know chasing them the attackers in their car and all, I was like, oh man, I want to I want Riso on Batman. Did that? Uh, what was the thing before the New Fifty Two Flash? It was the Flashpoint. Yes, that's what. It, yes, yeah, the yes. three issue mini. Yep, it was I'm, really really good three issue mini. Yeah. Yep. I'm just blown away with this. I mean, I I was looking forward to it. I don't think I was expecting this when I read it. You know what I mean? When you I had knew. us read it, you had already read it, so you knew what we were in for. Yes. It's been out for Although, a good, months. Good job on you, by the Thank way. You. Yeah, good job. Very good. Bravo. Didn't say a word. <laughs> yeah. Not even like I, I can't I can't keep my mouth shut with this stuff. I'd be like, you gotta read this. Did you read it? Did you read it? You know? Yeah, like, yeah you just he played you it, it super cool. Well, it's Connor, he's the captain. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. I mean, this is. The, I mean, this is like I want to hand this to people. Like this is. I mean, this is. This goes way. This is yet again another great graphic novel that can go beyond the comic reading audience that you can give to anybody dealing with PTSD, dealing with you know, uh, dealing with you know, getting attacked, or dealing with having any sort of trauma in their life, um, dealing with depression. You know, like these are all stuff that I think you can read and relate and really connect with the story and show that you can you can get out of it, you can live. You know, like you can you can go make great things because this took place in the early '90s and we've had 20 years of amazing Paul Dini product products, Paul Dini creations since then. So I think that's what's a lot of good Baldini units. Yes. <laughs> Shipped a lot of skews. At the same time, you know, he's he's been dealing with this for 20-something years. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he, it hasn't gone away, and this kind of thing never fully does go away. Yeah, and now he's got to talk about it at cons. Think about that. Think about that further part of the risk. Yeah. But, like, you're at the table signing or whatever, and someone's like, I could attack too, and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to live with this now. Which yeah. is good, and it's healthy, but it's taxing at the very least. It also made me think... I love autobio comics and memoir, mm-hmm. and I feel like I don't ever read any anymore. You should, you should, you should dig deep in them. I think you should definitely. It can ignite a a a, uh, a newfound love for autobiographic comics. Yeah, I, I don't not love them. I just don't see them as much. I feel like that used to be the stock and trade of sort of indie comics, quote unquote, and and that now that that doesn't exist in the same way, like I don't see them. Right. Yeah, but I would recommend this book for you know Paul Dini fans, for Batman the animated series fans, for Fans of people who don't even like those things, but just but as, like Josh, like autobiographical comics. This hits a lot of different groups. It's a four quadrant book, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but <laughs> children, do you, do you have a chart? Do you have a chart <laughs> yeah. that you could? <laughs> I really hope this book gets some attention come Eisner season. We always say that, and those books we talk about never do. But this is just this done such a high level of quality. It's nice to see. It's nice to see that he can turn this much pain and torment into something so powerful and meaningful. I felt, I felt very moved by it. And yeah. uh, as, as Ron said, I, you know, you want to give him a hug, but obviously you don't yep. want to because he doesn't want people touching him. Which, right, which, yeah, which, which, I, which makes I lots of sense. <laughs> Paul, if you're listening to this, we're giving you a virtual hug from the R.I. fanboy family to yours. There and you I don't want to you know, patronize him either, but you know, it's just you, yeah. he does a great job of, of God, I, could, I don't know if I could be this honest writing a book about myself. And this is not even just the mugging part, but as we said before, the stuff as a kid, the torment as a kid, and then the God. And I saw that scene with the Emmy. I was, I was. Yeah, that was. And and but the the, th- the thing about it is that it, I, I, what I find really interesting is that in great distress and pain comes amazing art. This is art. 
I, this is this art. is art. This yeah. is truly art. This is this might be one of the greatest things he's done because you know as great as Mad Love is and as great as that Batman run is and as great as everything that he's ever done as great as He Man was as great as everything that he's done in the world of pop culture and animation and comics and TV and all stuff like that. This had heart. And not that that stuff didn't have heart, but it had a a a, a person behind that heart that you could feel uh, while reading it, and th- th- that's rare, especially in the ninety-seven books that ship every week right. that are just rolling out the same tropes over and over again. To see something this honest and this raw, I, I think really should be celebrated. From a guy who's a master of storytelling, yeah, you know? it's I I imagine to a certain extent being this honest about it, you know, being able to do it had a lot to do with feeling really, really confident about being the kind of storyteller who could do it justice because you, if, you, if you don't do it right, then you're going to feel even worse. Yeah. You know, but uh, I, I, I assume this helped him. I assume this will help other people. I'm very, very glad that uh, you made me read it. Yeah, and if it doesn't, if it doesn't get nominated for an Eisner, then I'm, we're just going to have to go down there and burn it. We're not down. past that for this? You said it came out like six months ago. Yes, it's, it's yeah, going to no, be next year. Out, so. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will say, not, not to make a dumb joke, it's not a dumb joke, those Emmys are fucking sharp. I mean, <laughs> no, I've I've touched one. I know they are. Yeah. When I was reading that page, I, as I was flitching, I was also thinking, yeah, I can see that. Those that's yeah. things you, are like you've held nice. an you've held an Emmy, you've held an Emmy, right? Well, yeah, I've won several of them. Well, right, of course. No, my I mean, growing up, my my friend's dad had one. He was an editor, and I used yeah. to always touch the the wings because they were super sharp, and I was always as a kid yeah. fascinated by that. I held uh, Rod Serling's Emmy at college. Well, that's right. One of them because I was right place, right they, time. They let you in that case. They were clean. They, I was up there getting something signed at the uh, by somebody, and they were cleaning the case, and so the case was open. And I said to the lady, "I'm like, can I touch an Emmy?" And she's and she looked around. She's like, "Yeah, go for it." And so I said, "Okay." And I picked it up. Was it just a cleaning lady? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right, for those who don't know, <laughs> our, our, the Rod Serling archive was housed at the college the three of us went to. Because <laughs> he fit. That's not okay. He, she shouldn't have that. There was a display case with, with a bunch of his memorabilia, and including some of his Emmys, and apparently Ron broke into it. I, 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 honestly, I was ready to root through it. I was going to see what I could take, but <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't want to press my luck. I just picked up an Emmy. I went, oh, heavy. I put it back down. <laughs> it also explains the original copy of To Serve Man script that you have. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't tell me I can't throw some nerd shit around, by the way. <laughs> good job. Good job. <laughs> Paul... To be honest, I thought it was a little obvious of a reference as far as episode choice, but I think I think Paul Dini would be proud. Yeah, he was a nerd. Um, oh, by the way, I love the I love the you can't say Woody Woodpecker, so I'm gonna call him something else. Yeah. <laughs> and then then that made me think, I'm like, oh man, what would a Paul Dini rebooted Woody Woodpecker been like? <laughs> would have been better than the crap they rolled out in the early nineties that he almost worked on. It's funny, I, I read this originally when I got it and I reread it today just to have it fresh in my head and you know with the passing of Gene Wilder I just watched Blazing Saddles a couple days ago and there's a joke on the final page that references it directly but before he calls it out I was like oh that's weird that's the same dialogue from Blazing Saddles that's odd and then he then he he, he says it is in the, in the comic yeah. itself but yeah super nerd hey listen he had the he had the back of a car couch <laughs> I feel like I feel like you- this was I think this is a department that Ron was working towards at one point. <laughs> at one point, yeah, I definitely. Yeah. I, <laughs> he had the bat. Let that sink in. The back of a '57 Chevy couch. That's that's like straight out of Silver Spoons. <laughs> <laughs> With that '80s reference, any any final thoughts? Nope. 
right. Go go read this. Go read it. Go to go to go to ifanboy.com slash support and click on the Amazon button and go order it. I cannot recommend this more highly. I think I yeah. I have no reservations you, on this yeah. one. Yeah. Me me either. Good job, Connor. Dark Knight a true Batman story, uh, from Vertigo, written by Paul Dini at Arpa Eduardo Riso. Actually, they have an all all star team here. I think Todd Klein did the letters. Yeah, Todd Klein is on the letters and Eduardo did the colors. Chip Kidd did the Shelly Bond, editor. Yep. What a waste. So uh, go to fanboy.com. There'll be a post on the show. You can talk about this book if you've read it, and I hope you have. I don't feel like many people did. Like Ron said, there hasn't been a lot of talk about it. But uh, hopefully after hearing this, you might go out and get it, although we've ruined all the surprises. It didn't give a spoiler warning. Whoops. Oh. Here's your, here's your spoiler warning. So check it out there. Then you can check out our weekly podcast, iFanboy Pick Week Podcast, where we talk about the week's releases. Every Sunday it comes out. And uh, so next month, you can look forward to a Talksplode. Maybe, Exciting. Maybe Josh, you should interview Paul Dini. I feel like I feel like I can't now. I feel like I know too much. <laughs> it would be awkward to say the least. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, until the next show, I am Connor. I'm Ron, and I'm Josh. Thanks. But you got that special kind of sadness. You got that tragic set of charms that only comes from time spent in Los about a man